Well, Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, Lord, as a church body. Thank you for this medium that we have to join together, Lord, to see each other's faces, to be able to say hello and and uniquely fellowship, Lord, in this way. But Father, Lord, we need to, as a church, you, you've called us to be not only the light to the world in, in who we are and how we act and what we do, but you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be a preservative, Lord. And one of the ways that we do that is in prayer, calling upon you. So, Lord, we do this morning. You see what's going on across our nation. You see not only the righteous indignation for for what has occurred and, and the voice that really does need to be heard, the changes that really do need to be made. But also, Lord, you see a lot of uh, pent-up anger and frustration, uh, even about the virus and, and other things that are coming out, and adrenaline and just foolhardiness and different things, Lord, that are detracting from the righteous cause. And uh, so, God, we... We, we thank you that you're on the throne. We pray, God, this morning, uh, even taking that principle that one will put a thousand to flight and two, ten thousand, Lord, as we would come together in prayer, we would ask, God, that you would thwart the plan of the enemy to continue to divide people, to incite anger and violence across this nation, that you would put an end to that, Lord, that you would. Uh, Send those angels, Lord, to uh, counteract the demonic activity and uh, and shut some of this stuff down so that, Lord, the real message of what needs to happen will come forth. And uh, we praise you for that, Lord. We pray, God, that you would raise up leaders, uh, Christian leaders, uh, intelligent leaders, Lord, somebody or somebody's that can take control of the mob mentality and and draw people to themselves and be a voice, an intelligent voice, a a well-meaning voice, Lord, that like Martin Luther King Jr., that that people can get behind and do this thing right, and and add uh, their voice and their activity for real and positive changes and good results, Lord, uh, results that come from care and love and uh, and goodness. And we thank you for that. And God, I know we, we have needs and we'll, we'll bring them up later as well, Father, but uh, we, we lift up the Ruggles family and we lift up the Kroll family before you, Lord, this morning, those that have lost loved ones, dear loved ones. God, we ask that you would draw near to these families, that you would uh, uphold them by your grace, that you would strengthen them and bless them, give them peace, Lord, in their hearts. And uh, God, that we as a church body would just uh, love up on one another and be there for each other. Thank you for that too, Lord. God bless our time together in your word today. We thank you for it all, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen and amen. Well, I want to start out. Uh, I, I know I saw Haley and Logan I want to start out with the uh, children's message this morning. I want to talk about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and something we all need, self-control. Isn't that a great list of things that you and I would like to experience in our lives? Love and joy and peace, goodness, right? All of that are things that we would just love to experience in our lives more and more as, as we grow and, and, uh, and have those things in our lives. But here's the question. This is called fruit, okay? How do you get fruit? Well, you got to plant something, right? You got to plant a tree or, or, or plant a seed. Uh, my, my wife, Kathleen, she, uh, she planted a garden and she planted lettuce and tomatoes. And incidentally, did you guys know that tomatoes are actually a fruit? Do you know that? We usually call them vegetables, but tomatoes are actually fruit because a fruit um, technically is something that come, that forms from a flower and contains seeds. So tomatoes are fruit and squash and pumpkins and cucumbers and peppers are all actually technically fruit. So there's your little thing for the day that you can tell your friends and go, Do you know, tomatoes are fruit. But anyway, um, so here's, here's, here's a question. If Kathleen plants beans, Will she get tomatoes? No. If she plants peas, will she get cucumbers? No, right? Because you get what you plant, right? The Bible says we reap what we sow, okay? Sowing is planting, right? Um, so if we're gonna get fruit in our lives, where, where do we need to plant? Where do we need to sow? We need to plant in our hearts. Well, how do you do that? Well, think about how we get things inside of us, right? Through our eyes, through our ears, through our thoughts, right? All those things come, come into our hearts. So it's like what we read, things that we read, things that we watch on TV, things that we listen to, right? Even the people that we pick to be our bestest friends, I know bestest isn't a word, best friends, um, the ones that have a lot of influence in our lives, the ones that we hang around and, and kind of get to be like over time, all of those things are things that plant into our hearts. So we can determine what kind of fruit we're going to have by what we plant in our hearts. So if we want positive things and good things, we need to plant positive things, good things in our hearts. Like reading the Bible, like prayer, like, like the things that we watch and we read and we listen to being positive things. And we put all that into our hearts so that later on, the fruit that comes from that is all that good stuff. 
All right. So that's how we get fruit. And that's what we can do about it. Just like a garden. Your heart is a garden. All right. Okay. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have the opportunity to plant good things in the soil of our hearts. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to do that. Show us the good things that we can plant in our lives so that we can experience stuff like love and joy and peace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Well, moving on to the message this morning. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bible or your phone or your tablet or split screen. Uh, turn to uh, John chapter four. I want to look at the account of the uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. I think it's uh, got a lot of good things in there for us as we're continuing our series in John. Uh, things that I think are very applicable to what's going on in our world today as well. So John chapter four, beginning at verse one, says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. One thing I see in there that, that we just want to make note of, uh, Jesus had more disciples than just the 12. Uh, later on in the Gospels, we see that Jesus sent out 70 two by two to carry the message, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to drive out demons. There was, a, there was 70 that he sent out on more than one occasion to do ministry in preparation for him coming to a city. So there were crowds that followed Jesus. We talk about the 12 disciples. There were 12 of the disciples that he designated as apostles, as leaders to take the church forward. But Jesus always had a whole slew of disciples, men, women, right? All kinds. So um, just a little note on that. But it would seem here uh, that for whatever reason, Jesus, uh, he says the, the Pharisees heard that he was baptizing and gaining more disciples at John. Jesus is choosing here to avoid uh, confrontation that he saw coming. With his popularity, uh, he's now outpacing John and the, and the Pharisees and all. They didn't really like John too much because he was challenging them. Um, and Jesus also beginning a ministry that's going to challenge the status quo, Jesus is going to become the new target for criticism. And this is early on in his ministry. Jesus really hadn't had the opportunity to establish himself yet, didn't want to cause this, this great big commotion uh, between him and the Pharisees, and he thought perhaps it was best to withdraw until he was able to build uh, a more adequate and widespread rep um, reputation as both a teacher and one who showed 
through the miraculous working of God, through, through his miracles, that God was indeed with him. And I think this is important. Uh, early Christians struggled, when, especially in the, uh, during the persecution time of, uh, Rome, of the Roman Empire early on, when all of a sudden just being a Christian became a crime, when they were actively sought uh, to be arrested as Christians, and they wrestled with the idea of whether they should just step forward and turn themselves in, which, which some did, or whether uh, it was morally correct for them to go into hiding. And they finally had come to the conclusion with scriptures like this uh, to realize that, uh, no, they would never deny Christ, but also uh, they would not just arbitrarily give themselves up because they had, they had not committed a crime. There, there was nothing uh, that they actually did that was criminal in not worshiping the emperor or whatever. Uh, so they owed no debt to society. They had nothing to step forward and admit and, and you know just give up their lives like that. So it was okay in the early church to go underground, to meet underground, to... Uh, to preserve your life, so to speak. Uh, but if they were caught and captured, they obviously would not deny Christ, and many uh, were martyred because of that. So here the Lord is saying, it's not time yet. It's not time for this confrontation. I'm going to leave the scene, let this cool down, and uh, come back into it later. Verse 4 says, And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. Uh, you got to understand here, as we look at this, that the Samaritans were a race of transplanted Gentiles. I think I've talked about this before. When uh, Rome conquered the area, and even before that, uh, during time of uh, Babylonian uh, captivity, when Babylon came in, they would, instead of having these large areas of, of ethnicity where they could uprise and come against, you know, the, the, the main Babylon or whatever, they would split people up and they would transplant them to different places so they could quickly uh, squash whatever rebellion was going on. And so here was this place where there was a lot of Gentiles and also Jews had settled and they, they intermarried, which they weren't supposed to do. So they, they not only had a mixed race, um, but they also have had a mixture of all these religions, not only the Jewish religion um, of one, one God, uh, but also all these other religions from the uh, places around them. And so the Jews uh, hated the Samaritans. They, they would go around Samaria in their travels, they wouldn't even go through it. They figured just uh, just being around these people was a, a defilement to them. They were, they were mixed breed. They were 
false religion. They were this and that. And they absolutely, there was this, this hatred for the Samaritans. And the disciples, even in traveling there, uh, were like, wait, we're not going through there, are we? Um, so this is where they are in now Samaria. And verse 7 says that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Notice the timing of this opportunity. Jesus starts out in a direction to avoid a confrontation. But now in the perfect timing of the father and his will, this is going to be an opportunity for Jesus to change, as we will see, a woman's life, a whole village, and even beyond that. You and I have no idea sometimes we think that we are just going to go here and we're going to go there and we're going to do this and do that. And God's got other things in store for us that can literally change the lives of people. Uh, I, I remember stories of, of how, you know, Skip would say, I was sitting here in the doctor's office and here was somebody crying and took that opportunity to minister to this woman um, that, that was grieving and be able to, to offer a prayer, to be able to offer comfort. And you and I need to be aware, um, open, We're, you know, always have a window to heaven for those kind of opportunities that can strike uh, when we least expect it, right? So let's, uh, let, let's keep that in the back of our mind that at any time during the day, God can have opportunities for us to minister to people. I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we spend so much time um, trying to focus our attention on certain people that we know. And, and yes, you know, we pray for them and, and, and we talk to them and things like that. But while we're doing that, we might sit on a park bench next to somebody who is not stubborn, but, but God has already prepared and they're ripe for harvest. And we will be able to, to share with them the goodness of the Lord and can absolutely change their lives. So let's take that cue from Jesus and uh, and be looking for opportunities. Uh, scholars will say that since this woman was alone uh, and not with the other women who used to uh, all draw water together at the same time, it was kind of their, you know, quilting bee, kind of their, their fellowship time together. It shows that she was ostracized, that she was uh, not part of the in-group. And we'll see why, uh, because of her past and because of her reputation. So the Samaritan woman sees Jesus um, uh, there at the well. Jesus asks her for a drink, and and she's she's like dumbfounded. Uh, she says, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?" Verse nine, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Again, there's this hatred. She can't believe he's even talking to her. Um, there, there, there was actually three strikes here. Number one, 
for a traditional Jewish man, this was a woman, so he wouldn't have regarded her anyway. He wouldn't have talked to her anyway. So that was number one. Number two, she was a Samaritan. And number three, uh, as we will see her past, she was a sinner. So there were already three strikes against her. She knew that going in. And she's like, how is it that you're even talking to me? I don't get this. And notice, though, that she says, um, how is it that you ask me? for a drink. Uh, the, the translation here, uh, when we say, woman, get, get, give me a drink, you know, it, it's not like that. The, the translation is harsher than Jesus's words. He's actually just asking her for, um, for a drink of water. And she's like, I, I don't get this. Why are you even talking to me? And Jesus answers her, verse 10, and he says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What's he saying here? He's saying here, in other words, I'm no ordinary Jew, number one. And number two, you are not in my eyes defined by your gender, your ethnicity, or your past, or even your present. She was simply valued as a human being created in God's image. And thus, he freely offers eternal life to her, just like he would to anyone else. And I think that is just, it's so key. It is so important as you and I go out into the world that, that first of all comes the offer. We're, 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 not, we're not looking at a person's gender. We're not looking at their ethnicity. We're not looking at their background. We're not looking at, at what they do or don't do or what they're wearing or not wearing, what their uh, piercings and tattoos and, and lifestyles. We're not looking at any of that. When you and I come into contact with people as followers of Christ, we follow Christ in this. And, and love and grace comes first right love and grace comes first an open opportunity um, to fellowship in the gospel plus um he says if you only knew who i am basically and what i can offer you don't don't you feel like that sometimes I mean, not, not, not for you and me, but I mean, you're trying to tell people about the Lord sometimes and they just blow you off. They don't want to hear it. Um, but knowing Jesus and knowing the difference that he makes in our lives and, and, you know, just that he's there for us when we're hurting, when we're in trouble, the wisdom that he gives to us, the great church family that he gives to us. You want so much to share that with people and they just blow you off and you just you just want to shake them nicely and say, if you only knew what I know, if you only could see through my eyes, if you could only experience what I've experienced, what the Lord has meant to me, you would jump at this, right? So you can kind of feel what Jesus is, is talking about here. If you only knew who I am and what I can offer, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Um, look at that term living water for a minute. We see similar words in, uh, in John 7, 38 and 39, 
which concludes uh, by saying this. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So living water, what is living water? Living water is the Holy Spirit of God living in us, right? And then living through us, giving life to others. So this is, this is a drink, if you will, of the Spirit of God, of the presence of God, of the life of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not, not, not this stuff in the well. I can give you a life-giving, thirst-quenching uh, presence and reality that you need, right? But the woman, verse 11, she says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Okay. Well, she's not really getting it here, is she? No. Uh, and neither would you and I if we were there. But Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So regular water, right, as we know, quenches our physical thirst and it's temporary, right? We got to drink again and uh, we want to keep ourselves properly hydrated as the weather gets warmer here. Um, but there is an inner thirsting of the human heart, isn't there? There is this inner thirst in us. Um, it, it's something that, that God has, has put in us, right, as human beings, because we were created to be in relationship with, with him. We were created to be connected to him, our spirit and his spirit together. That's how he made us. And so without him, because sin came in and separated us from God, we have this thirst or as someone put it, there's a God-shaped vacuum in us that nothing else can fill. Um, it's a thirsting ultimately for God, but we can't really put uh, our uh, words to that, feelings to that. Um, it, it's a thirst for love, unconditional love, unconditional value, uh, real peace, real hope, real security. And we try as human beings, don't we? Before, before we understand where this really comes from, we try to find all these things through relationships and through accomplishment and through uh, money and stuff and all this kind of thing, trying to fill that void. But that void only comes, that fullness only comes, that thirst is only quenched by the inward presence of God who comes to, to, to us and to live in us by his spirit when we're born again. So then it becomes a spring in us, not only because um, God's spirit is, is a living spirit. It, it is, it's not something that, that, you know, dries up and goes away. He, he is life in us. Um, but also it's, it's a spring. Springs do what? They, they, they bubble out. And, and God's spirit in us, his life in us is not to be contained, 
it's it's not to to just fill up in ourselves and and just uh, be held in. Uh, I heard a preacher one time say, uh, "The Holy Spirit is in you. He wants out." <laughs> I, I just I heard the whole the meeting we were at. Everybody started roaring when they when they got that. You know, he wants out. He wants to touch the lives of other people. Jesus's whole ministry was was outward. He didn't do for himself. He, it was not to gain for himself, to do for himself, just to enjoy God's presence and, and sit on a mountaintop and, and pray all day um, and, and, and just experience ecstasy in the presence of God. Uh, it, his ministry was passing that on to everybody else in various ways, in various forms, uh, healing the sick, casting out the devils, ca- getting rid of oppression, changing people's the quality of people's lives that were stuck in ruts that's the life of god coming out of him and that same life of god that that he desires to spring out through us and touch the lives of other people with his love it's not automatic however um you and i have to realize that that the springing up of god's spirit in us um and even even our own inner thirst. Let me let me ask you something. As a Christian this morning, do you always feel full? No, right? There are times that we feel empty. There are times that we feel weary. There are times that we feel exhausted. Like, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say this would be a never-ending spring? What's going on here? We got to understand that everything that God does, he does with us in terms of uh, relationship. Our inner thirst is quenched as we commune with God in prayer, as we um, learn truth from him by spending time in his word, as we walk by faith, as we trust him to, to, to work in our lives, as we fellowship together as the body of believers, as we follow his leading and and share his goodness with others. Joy comes into our lives, right? As we reach out and bless other people. So it's not uh, it's not an automatic thing. We we need to partner with God. It's all about uh, togetherness. Okay? He saved us. He reconciled us to Himself. He didn't just save us to go to heaven someday. He brought us into relationship and. Everything about this Christian life is in the context of relationship. Okay, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Okay, so she's still not getting it, and that's okay. (laughs) Um, So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, okay, it's time to take this up a notch. So he asks her, an interesting or gives her an interesting uh, uh, something to do. He says, verse 16, go call your husband and come here. He's setting her up. Okay. Uh, verse 17, the woman answers him and he, and she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you are right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Now, I want you to notice here, because this is important, um, that the offer of living water and eternal life 
came first. Love, grace, his value for her, his respect for her as a human being, all came first. Okay, can, can we say it this way? Uh, make this something to remember. God loves first and asks questions later. And we, as followers of Christ, we need to make that our mantra. Love first and ask questions later. Right? Um, but what's, what's going on here? When, when we look at Jesus' offer of salvation that he offers to, to all of us, then we must honestly face who we are. I mean, look at it this way. What good is salvation if we don't need to be saved, right? There's an aspect of us coming to Christ where we have to admit that we're sinners. If we don't need a savior, then then what's it all about? So there's got to be along with um, just this, this message of God's love, there has to be this repentance. There has to be this, this uh, change of heart where we look into our hearts, even as the apostle Paul did after so many years as a Pharisee, when he thought he had it all down pat, he comes to the point and he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? I don't do what I want to do. The things that I want to do, I don't end up doing, right? I keep making the same mistakes. I see my imperfections. I see my faults. And if we are going to really receive the grace and forgiveness of God, we've got to know we need it, right? So that's what Jesus does. He guides this woman to see, to look into her own heart and realize, yes, I need a Savior. I need something here. Jesus always goes after the heart. But again, it's done after he has already shown her unconditional love. He's already shown her the value and respect that he has for her as a human being. That he's not condemning her. He's valuing her and offering love and grace. Uh, Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Here's a guy that she's never seen in her life that tells her her life history, right? Um, But then she goes on to say this, verse 20, Our fathers worshiped down this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's starting to catch on that this guy is legit, right? But then you can see the wrestling in in her own heart. This often happens when you and I are sharing your faith and we're starting to get through to people, okay? We, we, we share something um, about, about God's love and, and it starts to make an entrance in their hearts. And then all of a sudden the person, turn, maybe you've experienced this, uh, all of a sudden the person turns to us and says, well, well, how do you know your religion is the right one? Okay, don't react to that. Don't, don't get defensive to a question like that. that it, it's starting to, to, to make an impact, right? They're starting with honest questions in their own heart, struggles that they have. It's a struggle I remember in my own heart. 
when somebody shared the gospel with me. I could feel the struggle going on within my heart because you've got you've got Jesus on the one hand, you've got the Holy Spirit drawing someone to himself. And at the other time, you've got the world, the flesh and the devil all pulling on the other side. No, 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 don't go. Don't do that. You don't want to surrender. You want to be your own boss. You want to right? So there's this struggle going on. And that's why sometimes you and I get these questions. What about dinosaurs? You know, I don't understand, right? Um, and if we don't know the answer to questions, we don't get defensive and all that kind of say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my pastor. I'm going to, I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to research that and get back to you. Uh, pe people respond to honesty and genuineness. And they don't respond when you and I as Christians get huffy and, and defensive. So uh, we want to realize that there's that struggle going on inside of them. And so um, Jesus, you know, he gently answers her question, basically saying this. He says, well, um, let me tell you that, uh, yes, indeed, in truth, that God's salvation, his plan of salvation has come through the Jews. This, this progressive revelation of who God is and what God's design for mankind is and, and God's ways, all this has come through the Jewish religion. It's come through Judaism. It's come through this people that God picked out of, uh, of all the nations of the world and to reveal himself. They were the original light of the world. They were the original salt of the earth. God chose them to reveal himself to the rest of the world, okay? That is true. But then he goes on to say, but there's about to be a change here because God is about to move his temple from Jerusalem, the center of Judaism, to the human heart the center of each individual. He says, worship is not going to be about sacrificing bulls and goats and rams and, 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 and you can't wear two different kinds of, of uh, fabric in your clothing and you can't cut your beard. It's not going to be about any of that stuff. Worship is not going to be about outward religious rituals. It's going to be about a genuine inward personal relationship with God. In other words, um, he's telling her, it's not about where you worship. It's about whether you worship the one true God and Father and whether that worship is real. And that obviously applies to us, right? It's not about where we worship. Yes, we want to get back into our church building because we, 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 we love it. We respect it. Uh, memories there, uh, in, you know, just the, the, the gathering corporately together in, in, uh, in worship and seeing each other and all of that. It's, it's, it's good and it's wonderful. And, and we want to do that and not taking nothing away from that. But that's not worship. Worship is in the heart. Worship can be done anywhere. Worship 
is, is something that we carry with us, not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Worship is giving honor and respect to God in who we are, in how we live, in, in following his ways, um, and, and in glorifying him in all that we do. That is worship, right? So uh, we can do that anywhere at any time. So um, I, I think I'm going to stop there for today. Uh, looking at some things that are going on in our world uh, between this virus, between these protests that are going on, I think um, these are times that test our peace and our hope, aren't they? They're times that show us whether the strength of our faith is tied to a building or to a person named Jesus. It's times like this that call upon us to live out our worship, to live out our faith as we value all people equally. This is a time for the church outside of the walls to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Um, all the more with the situations that are going on in our world. All the more that that genuine worship of God in spirit of truth comes as we are showing love and kindness and respect to people in choosing our words to, to bless. Uh, let your conversation, the Bible says, be seasoned with salt. Let there be something preservative uh, in the things that we say, how we, you know, we're staying away from um, combats on social media. We're staying away from, well, I think, staying away from all that kind of stuff and, and just treating everybody with value and love and respect and kindness. Um, we, we, we need to do that in the times that we're living in. We're all frustrated. We're all tired of this quarantine thing. and uh, but now is the time to really dig deep and to let that living water bubble up out of us uh, towards one another, towards the world around us. And uh, let's approach that world like Jesus approached this woman at the well and uh, let his love and grace come through our lives more and more than ever before. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you, God, that you are on the throne. Once again, Lord, we do intercede for our nation, but we intercede, Lord, as well for your church. God, this is the time that we can shine, that we can stand up and show ourselves to be true followers of Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to talk like Jesus talked, to act like Jesus acted, Lord, so that the world can see that there is a difference. Help us, Lord. Empower us by that Holy Spirit of life that lives within us. Bubble up out of us, Lord, and touch this world, we pray, for your grace, and your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen.